Well, welcome everybody uh, back to the Montrose uh, Group Development Debate Podcast. Um, this is a this is a great day, exciting day. It's talk rural economic development, uh, rural industrial parks. Uh, quite frankly, sexy stuff for for economic development geeks like we are. Um, I don't know. Ryan Scribner from our team is on the podcast. Hey, Ryan, is this your first podcast? I think it might be my second. You had me on years ago when I was more of a client than I was a team member. Guest, you were a guest. That's yeah. right. So uh, now you've gone from the frying pan literally into the fire. So now you've got to, you know, bear the burden and and be a you know a gracious and witty host. It's it's not much pressure, Nate. You know, Nate Green, who sometimes is on these. At this point, I think he makes guest appearances. Ryan, let's just let's. Just... Well, maybe one day Nate will re- re- rejoin us. I, I, I'm glad to be here. I can certainly uh, check the gracious box. We'll we'll try on the witty part. All right, but we have uh, the Queen of Fostoria, Ohio. That's a title I think you should put on your business cards, Renee. Renee. Renee's uh, been a client, has done um, really a great job in a, a rural uh, northwest Ohio community. You're almost north central, but I'm going to call you northwest um, yeah. and developing an industrial out there. So we we really thought uh, it's a great topic. Uh, it's timely because, again, there's there's a with slowdown in the private, you know, big industrial uh, developer market, which we've done a lot of work in, we're seeing a big transition this year to a lot of public sector industrial parks because there's clearly end users looking for space. Um, I'll I'll start I'll start uh, you know with the with the big background question I usually ask most folks how did how did you get into this world of of economic development, Renee? I fell into it, um, <laughs> but. First and foremost, thanks for having me uh, participate in the podcast. Um, it's always a pleasure to tell our story. But, you know, I had, if you had asked me 12 years ago what economic development was, I don't think I could have answered the question. Um, I started working with the city of Fostoria about 11 years ago as their grants writer. And okay. I did that for about two and a half years. I had kind of a nonprofit background. And then this position came open and I had become familiar with the community. And basically when they interviewed me, I said, if you are looking for someone that is going to do traditional economic development, I'm probably not your girl because I don't know what traditional economic development is. Right. And so they seem to like the answer. So here we are nine years later and I'm still in this wonderful, competitive, ever-changing world. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and it's and, and again, the grant writing experience transfers, right? Because a lot of it is um, understanding your assets, you know, figuring out um, how you capitalize on those. Uh, we were just in a meeting this morning talking about, you know, how we help clients and um, no one has enough money. I mean, literally, we've never talked to anyone and said, no more. Do not you get us. You never will. <laughs> Do not get, we don't need it. We just don't, we can't take it. So we don't, we don't know where to put it. We don't know where to put it. So um, I think those are good skills. And, and again, you know, the community, right? You know, you know, players, um, you speak the language, 
right? I think at the end of the day, yeah. economic development, so much of it is relationships. And so knowing your community, knowing your region, knowing the, the people involved, it, it's a critical aspect to anything that you're going to do. Right. I was just going to say that response if I fell into it. That's that's actually a really common response to people who get involved in, in local economic development organizations. I think maybe even more so in semi-rural, not super urban or super dense areas. And uh, you check a few boxes, I think they're right out of the gates. To, like um, if you've got some passion for your community and you've realized that there's some greater potential to be realized than what's there now, and then you add in some relevant experience like grant writing or whatever, you like, to me, you've got the foundation for being a really good local economic developer. And if you've if you've survived that world for nine years, you're doing it right. So congrats to you. Well, Great. thank you very much. Well, tell us about your community. So the city of Fostoria is a little unique. Um, first and foremost, we sit in three counties in Northwest Ohio. We sit in Hancock, Seneca, and Wood. We are the second largest community in all three of those counties, um, which it creates some unique situations. We sit in two ODOT districts. We have multiple state reps and state senators. I mean, yeah. it's ever evolving world. Um, we are considered an economically distressed community. We have a population of about 12,000 people. Um, it used to be very heavy in manufacturing. And then in the eighties and nineties, they lost a lot of business. Yeah. I mean, they lost like 1800 jobs. Um, rather quickly. And for a community this size, that can be decimating. Yeah. So it has taken a long time to kind of level out and start to rebuild, but we have certainly started that process. And I, I think we're doing very well yeah. compared to yeah, where we once were. You don't, um, you know, cause the region is successful, right? You, you look at Northwest Ohio, I've, uh, it has I-75, the interstate running through it, which is literally connected to from Detroit to Florida. Um, beautiful flat farmland that's, you know, easy to turn into uh, factory industrial development. Um, but there are legacy cities in that area that, that, as I, you know, remind folks, you know, the fastest growing city in America in 19 Akron, right? So a hundred years ago, much of Ohio was booming you know, in the industrial revolution. And you can almost, you can almost to a T identify those places like Fostoria or Fremont or Sandusky uh, or Akron, Cleveland, you know, the, the bigger cities get the attention, but there's a lot of smaller communities that had built up so much in, in the industrial revolution that, you know, when we hit the seventies, we hit the eighties uh, and that market changed a lot of those facilities um, either went away or greatly reduced, you know, the number of workers they had, um, it left them smaller places struggling as well as the, the places. So, um, Fostory is a little unique in that, that it's part of that, part of that group, I think. Definitely. It definitely yeah. is. I was going to say, as you were describing the, the history and the plight, it's really relatable in a lot of places. And, and I live in a small town of, of Circleville, South of Columbus, that like literally you could insert Circleville in place of um, Fostoria as you're telling that narrative and that story. I think there's a lot of communities that can relate to that, but not all of them have enjoyed um, um, success and recovery and rejuvenation of their local markets and, and rebuilding of the local economy in, in the same way. And so 
hopefully there's some instructive things and some some good lessons we can learn from what your approach has been there um, that, that again, ought to be relatable to a lot of, of different places, not just in Ohio. So, so Renee, you take over uh, the economic development job. What's your strategy? What do you, you know, again, uh, you know, we've kind of established what, what the community's like, but what, what did you do? You know, well, I was, like I said, I was kind of lucky because I really didn't know what I was supposed to do. So I kind of jumped in and took a, a high level assessment of, okay, what, what was done, you know, 10, 15 years ago? Yeah. Where are we now? And then I talked to some key stakeholders about where do you want to go? Where do you see this going in the future? And it was a lot of conversations those first few months, a lot of meetings, a lot of conversations, and then just a lot of research because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And sometimes in these roles, we're not the most popular person. You know, in small towns, people remember what it used to be. And they yeah. think that as economic development directors, you're going to take it back to those good old days. And when you have to deliver the message that this community is never going to be what it was in 1962, People yeah. take that very badly. Yeah. Um, so you have to be prepared for that in this role. They're not yeah. going to throw a parade in your honor. Most of the time, they're not really going to like you very much. Yeah. That that is a great point. That 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 if you had, um, and I literally just sat through meetings a couple weeks ago for a client, uh, kind of a listening session, um, and you know, basically try to. Um, elicit, you know, okay, okay, what, what new sites are you looking at? All they could talk about, literally all they could talk about at every table was, well, how do we get the old back up? And how do we get the old for Literally, they are, um, they're trying to, to roll the clock back. I love that, 1962, you could pick your year. They're trying to roll the clock back. They look we need, we need to refight that battle and we need to win it this time. The reality is that battle's over. That battle's you been lost over. lost that battle. And that doesn't mean you can't get brownfield money and you can't, you know, because a lot of those sites are phenomenal. We, we've got a client on the south side of us that's, you know, transformed a former steel plant, you know, into a new industrial park. And it's it's a great site, right? So it doesn't mean you can't do it. Um, you just can't relive that fight over and over and over again. And, you know, you got to be open to, uh, to new and better things. So clearly new and better things for you was, is kind of a next generation, uh, of industrial park. Um, you know, the, the rural market, I think struggle to attract a lot of the big private industrial developers, you know, they'll, even if resources that you can bring to the table, um, and we've had these clients and I've had conversation with the private guys it's tough to get them to leave the big growing urban market quite frankly they don't even want to go to big markets they want to go to big growing urban markets um how did you take that jump blindly you know. i took it blindly <laughs> i had i had no idea what i was getting into and maybe that was to, to my benefit you don't know what you don't know and so you really you know, I was like walking into a lion's den and had no idea. Yeah. Um, 
So I took over and within a year, we had an industrial park that had seen no development in 20 years. And we owned the lots. And I'm thinking, you know, uh, to your point, we're not going to attract some big developer in a community of 12,000 people in, you know, rural Northwest Ohio. So if we're going to help the community, we have to help ourselves. We can't rely on other people to come in and save the day for us. I love that. So we took a look at the lots that we owned. I had repeated meetings with the executive board. There were a lot of conversations about putting up a spec building and there was a lot of hesitation, but we had a um, revolving loan fund that had money in it. And we could borrow that money from the city of Faustoria and we could put up a building. And that's what we did. We took um, a lot, put up a 40,000 square foot building with a hope and a prayer and thought, you know, if, if this tanks, well, I was new and hopefully there's some forgiveness there, but we'll give it a try. And we worked with, and I can't emphasize this enough. If you are putting up a spec building, especially in a small rural community, utilize the assets you have. We utilized our utility partners. We yeah. utilized Jobs Ohio Regional Partnership. We re- utilized our existing businesses, yeah. anybody you can get in front of to talk to. And we ended up selling that spec building before it was completed. And the end user came to us from a lead we got from our electric provider. Oh, awesome. Um, so, and yeah. that we sold that 40,000 square foot building since then we sold it in 2016. They have expanded it now to a hundred thousand square feet and bought a second parcel out there. Wow. Um, and there it's a thriving business and it was an international attraction project to the state of Ohio. Wow. <laughs> Holy cow. So the, it worked out trail of local economic development efforts is when you, that kind of project, right? Yeah. He's, he's saying that because he brought toilet paper to to pick away county with so fidel he he talks about it constantly renee it's <laughs> you brought it to me it's, it's kind of embarrassing awful. let the toilet paper go let the toilet paper go <laughs> he did the paper out the field. I'm like, proof. Why? no we got no we got no toilet paper out of the deal or paper towels whatever else they, i like toilet paper yeah, yeah phenomenal get more direct investment uh that is uh that's why we do this, right? You want to attract that global investment back. We sent a lot of that manufacturing overseas. I see more of that coming. I'm not sure what you're seeing in your your deal flow. I don't know if this year's deal flow is going to be as fast as as some of the others with the interest rates being as high as they are. But uh, my gosh, if you're if you're paying European energy energy prices right now with the war in Ukraine and their energy sources all jumbled up. And you look at the U.S. market, you're crazy not to invest in the U.S. So I, I, I think there's more of that. There's more of that coming. Um, now, I think, did, did you get a rural industrial loan program? Yes. What, a little bit about that, how the, how the state had this really cool program. I think we helped you with that. But I, I think that 
I think that's an interesting model that other states should look at. Uh, we think it's a great program. We've helped a lot of communities with it, but give give the listeners a little bit of perspective on that on that program. So we actually in 2022 decided to put up another spec building in our industrial park. And we utilize the Rural Industrial Park Loan Program to do that. Um, and so this time we had four acres. We decided we put up a 30,000 square foot building that's expandable to 90,000. And we worked with Montrose and on the application for the Ripple Rural Industrial Park Loan Program. Yeah. And I agree with you, that is a tremendous asset. Um, couple things I would caution people about, you have to front that money. Yeah. And some banks we found when we were talking about it, because it is a little outside the box, we're a little hesitant to partner with us. Right. If you're looking to look at your local community banks, some that have a little more flexibility, that's what we ended up going with. And it worked out splendidly. And yeah. so basically with that program, it was, I'm going to use rough numbers here, you know, like a $2 million project and the state came back, we fund, you know, put the building up, they came back, reimbursed us for the expenses, and then forgave 50% of the note. So then yeah. when we turned around and sold the building, we made a nice profit that we can now put into another project. And well, we ended up selling that building and paying off the note with the state within 60 days of everything coming to fruition. And a local company bought that building for an expansion. Um, we're actually talking about utilizing a ripple for another project, awesome. essentially. Because I mean, I'm a big advocate for it. You just need to know what you're getting into. You right. have to have the capital to carry that project. And I think that's one of the biggest things I would caution people as you look at developing in spec buildings and industrial parks, spec buildings specifically, We've been very blessed that we have sold ours quickly, but that's not always the case. So yeah. make sure you have enough money sitting there that you can float that building for, I tell people three years, because you still have to keep the lights on, you still have to pay those utilities and you need to be prepared for that if it doesn't sell. Go ahead, Ryan. Because I, I can just, I literally can think of maybe even some specific communities and, and potential clients out there who, probably love what they've heard so far, but they're thinking about the risk component. They're thinking about the equity component that you have to bring to the table locally when you're gonna secure some of that non-local funding. Um, and you had, it sounded like some publicly controlled ground. Can you talk a little bit about the backstop of support that you have within your unit of local government there that enables you to go out and make these deals like this? Because um, you know sometimes elected officials, they, they love the sound of all this, but when it comes time for them to have a little skin in the game, and or to be a part of that risk equation and make it possible to put these things in, you know, then they then they stop just short of that. So you must have some good local leadership there to partner with and work with on these. Could you just describe that dynamic a little bit? So we do. We have great local leadership and we have a very pro-business um, mentality. And so as we've been very candid about the risk associated with these projects, um, and we try and be as data-driven as possible. Um, so we look at what's happening in Northwest Ohio as far as spec buildings and things like that. You notice the buildings we've put up have been smaller. A lot of people talk about the 100,000 square foot buildings and things like that. 
we really did a deep dive into our market. 100,000 square foot building, that's fantastic. But we felt that based on the data we had collected, that a smaller building would work better in our market. It's all expandable, but a smaller building, less overhead. And so when we started these conversations with our elected officials and with like my executive board, the business leadership of the community, we had these candid conversations and our decisions were data driven. Um, but we're also not afraid of a risk because if we're not real willing to risk on ourselves, we can't ask somebody else to come in the community and take that risk on our behalf. Right. Put that on well, sure, Dave. And I give you credit that, that it isn't just making a risk and, and the government money, but it's doing your homework, right? You know, it's not, it's not going out and building a million square foot building because that's what is in a, you know, in the larger markets and you want to compete, you know, for some facility. You've got to really do you have to deep real estate dive and figure out uh, and, and the workforce dive, right? It, it isn't just what, what buildings exist in a market, but, you know, when we, we've got our site selector hat on and you look at rural markets, you're drawing that circle 45 minutes around that facility saying, okay, we need 200 people in these six occupations. Where are they? Yep. You know, is this, is this a strength that this region has? Do they have excess workers? Do they have um, workers who are underemployed or unemployed? Do they have a training program that, that, you know, we can, we can pick up those workers. Cause again, um, if you're not in a growing, you know, mid-size urban market or large market, you've got to really think through the workforce issue because population growth is not going to be what does it. Rural counties everywhere. I don't care if you're in Ohio or Texas or Ireland. Uh, rural counties over the last hundred years have not been growing. Um, they've been losing population, you know, so we automated a hundred years ago and we continue to. So the rural markets, you really got to pay attention. It isn't just, okay, we'll take the risk, but it's, it's the hard questions. How, how big should that building be? You know, cause if you, and again, great advantage to the spec space, right? Because when a company's looking and ready to go, they are ready to grow. They're not, okay, I want to get some land and maybe 18 months later after it's zoned and and entitled and all this other stuff, maybe, you know, then we'll be ready. They don't know what's going to happen in 18 months. They can tell you what's going to happen in the next six, you know, um, because they got it. They, 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 they see those contracts, but it, it is, uh, there's a great advantage of the spec, but you got to do your homework. You do. You really got to do, do and you have to acknowledge it's, it's going to be scary. Yeah. I mean, when we built that first building, I kept, you know, a little Pepto-Bismol in my desk and was just drinking it out of a straw because it, it can be stressful. And you just, you got to acknowledge that. This, by the way, Renee, best yeah. podcast. <laughs> Fell into it and Pepto-Bismol on, on, with a straw. I you mean, just you gotta just be honest. Describe Ryan's life for twelve years. That's how we stole him away from Pickaway County. It may not well. have been Pepto Bismol. Sometimes it might have been something stronger, but either way, well, I can relate. <laughs> what? I mean, whatever you need to feel better. I'm not. This is this podcast is judgment free. 
<laughs> okay, good. It's a judgment-free zone. Well, how do you how do you feel like it's it's going? Is the is the I mean, obviously, it sounds like the industrial park's doing well. Um, you know, I mean, how is the region kind of performing? Do you think you think you reached the next level with more industrial? Are you looking at housing? Are you looking at fixing up a downtown? What do you what do you think is kind of the next step? Uh, you know, you you don't have the advantage anymore of not knowing what you're doing. I know. It's sad, you know, but it's true. I hate to tell you that we won't, you know, we're the podcast will be public, so people may hear that. It's okay. But kind of kind of kind of what's next? So our current industrial park is full. So we are having that conversation about do we look at developing a new one? But yeah. as I keep saying, an industrial park, it's it's like a marriage. It's a long-term commitment. And it'll be messy if you go down that path and then try and get out of it. Yeah. So we're trying to discuss that. Do we want to just buy, you know, 10 acres and do a one-off building? Do we want to do something that's 50 plus acres and develop something new? That's an ongoing conversation. Housing is, it is the number one issue I think facing everyone. So yes, we're doing a deep dive into that, trying to get as creative as possible to address some of those. Workforce continues to be an issue, but not as big as it was a couple years ago. I think companies are finding their groove and dealing with that um, yeah. in new and creative ways. Uh, downtown's doing pretty well. Good. Um, so that, that we're excited about. We've really embraced the entrepreneur ecosystem. Um, and are trying to do some homegrown cultivating of some of those opportunities. Um, but I keep asking the question, and it's a question we'll ask ourselves forever. What do we, what's our end game? What do we want to be when we grow up? Because right. economic development is always evolving. And yeah. so this is, it's an ongoing conversation locally on some of these projects. Yeah, the, the, the housing piece is just, is just turned into what, I'd say it's the new workforce. It right. Is. I think that we've been trying to figure out workforce for a decade because, you know, we saw the baby boomers starting to retire, um, you know, and, and no one, you know, again, it's I, I think, quite frankly, automation is has become the answer for a lot of these manufacturers and logistics firms. But the reality is, um, just like the company is going to draw a workforce circle before they pick a location. Uh, I think more and more there's communities say, okay, if we bring a hundred people to your community, tell me where they're going to live. Yes. Because there's just no product. And, and again, um, it's also different where you are. We've helped rural communities um, actually attract development. They actually buy land, get control of land. And we'll go through a process to figure out what the market is, what their entitlement should be, what the abatement should be, um, the infrastructure paid for. And then we will literally help them pitch to developers that are in rural residential. Um, we just had some, some success again in Ohio, this transformational mixed-use district program. It's a, it's a state tax credit program for mixed-use projects that, that we lobbied and made sure the rural markets were separated and had had a pool of the money so that the big cities didn't take it all. But again, I think there's all sorts of rural communities that are embracing multi um, to say, look, you know, we, we recognize that 
multifamily is really about young people. I think there's been a unfair characterization that it's about poor people. And a lot of places, I hate to say it, would oppose it uh, for that. But the reality is uh, there's a younger generation that's like, I'm not sure I want to own a home. Or there's an older generation that's like, I'm tired of owning a home. You know, I, I, I'm i tired of cutting the ground, tired of, you know, all that work. So I think um, I'm not surprised by the, you know, by the focus on housing. I think that is, I think that's smart. Um, yeah, I don't, I, I, I think you're right on. And it's good you're downtown so well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of rural communities, I, I think there's a lot of places, period, um, the big cities are struggling because their office market has collapsed. But you can't keep young people if they don't have a place to go. It's very true. Very true. Dave, I've, yeah. I've seen some of our, our more rural communities and clients starting to approach residential development almost the same way they would approach a competitive FDI manufacturing pros- prospect. It's not enough to say, um, gosh, we wish we had some housing and there's some ground on the edge of town that there might be a water line close by you know, come and have at it world. Where, where's all the developers beating down the door to come develop that ground? It's like, if, if you start to approach it the same way as a competitive project where you're, you're really developing an inventory of sites that you actually understand capacities and availability of utilities, that you have alignment uh, or the availability of some of the same types of incentive tools that are applied towards competitive manufacturing projects, um, that you have your entitlement processes um, streamlined and easily understood to make it easy for a, a non-local developer to navigate. And then all the, you're eliminating risk and delay and making a, a what might be a secondary or tertiary market infinitely more appealing than in the absence of that approach. And I, I think communities increasingly are realizing the need to, to, to approach it that way versus just hoping that it happens organically. Ryan, you are absolutely correct. And that's what we're doing. It's become, housing has become our new, um, kind of industrial bubble we're looking yeah. at capacities infrastructure you know what kind of abatements we could use because it goes back to what i said earlier when we were talking about the industrial development if we can't help ourselves we can't expect somebody else to come in every small community every large community that i talk to is having these same issues we're not special or unique and no. i know everybody thinks their community is you know you know, that shining star and we're so different than everyone around us. You're really not, you're really not. We're all facing the same issues. And so how do you set yourself apart? And the fact of the matter is, especially we've seen it here, you know, they can go to a community 30 minutes away and build the same house that they're going to build here and probably get more money for it there. Right. So how do we make it more advantageous for them to come here? Do we already have the infrastructure in place? Have we done the due diligence on that? Are we taking land that we own and donating it to the developer so they yep. don't have that outlay of initial cap? You know, what can we do? And it's that's how that's the approach we're taking. You know, Ryan Renee, she's kind of a truth teller. I love it. <laughs> I mean, she we want to work with regular rotation. I, I first of all, Nate's done. How can we expect the outside world? Nate's going to get invited back to the podcast. I know we've got a really good, loyal listener who harasses us uh, when we don't do podcasts on a regular basis. So I, I just want to get that out there that, you know, 
we might let Nate visit. Let's just let's just put it that way. But Renee's just she's telling it like it is. Yeah, good stuff. I, I think you have to. Yeah. You have to. Well, it's that Northwest Ohio sensibility, right? You just you just get you're just getting the work done. Exactly. You're just Nobody getting the needs to know how the sausage is made. Let's just yeah. get it done. Yes. We don't want to talk about it. We're looking we're looking for wins. Well, you know, that that was a great discussion. I, I think it's gonna be inspiring. Um, you know, the reality is there's a lot of rural communities out there trying to figure out the um, you know, what moves to make, how they kind of re embrace uh an industrial heritage, but also the what's next, you know, because again, it's 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 great to think you're just gonna keep developing industrial jobs um you know but the reality is they gotta have some place to live they gotta have a, a a little town center downtown that's that's vibrant and um you know and and positive so renee that was awesome well thank you so much for the opportunity and if anybody wants to discuss anything further please have them reach out to me absolutely um, always happy to share what we've done how we've done it because I mean, if you can rip off and duplicate, why not? Perfect. Perfect. Well, that's, you know, that's uh, that's that's a successful podcast, Ryan. I think we crushed it. I would agree. I mean, you know, I don't know how. We, I'm not sure how we can top that one, but we'll just keep trying. We'll just keep trying. Well, that's that's uh, that's our discussion today. I appreciate everyone uh, participating and uh, everyone has a has a great day. Thank you. To learn more about the Montrose Group services, please visit MontroseGroupLLC.com.